You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. and talk about tough decisions there's a lot of different types of running shoes it's uh there's a lot of different philosophies on it not just not just different shoes and different colors with different thicknesses but there are okay so there's the is they called hokas the hokas okay the hokas the big fat you know cushiony Mm -hmm. shoes and then you've got the on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the Vibrams with with the zero drop flat sole. Now I I was running on those for years. Uh, you know, ran uh, read Born to Run. You've read Born to mm-hmm. Run. Cool book talks about how we actually don't need all this stuff on the on the shoes. We want to go with our natural bodies, uh, flexibility. Yeah, and we should hu- we should hunt our own food and live by a campfire. All of this type of stuff we're built to run long distances, and that the foot is actually designed to absorb that shock, and that if you cushion it too much, it's like building a bridge on springs, and, and you shouldn't do it. So I was using these these vibrams, and I and I ran. The, uh, Miami Half Marathon. So I had a, had a conference in Miami, so I decided, all right, I'm going to go the day before. It turns out that Miami Half Marathon is the day before, so I get up early. <coughs> and I, I actually leave. We're staying at the Fontainebleau, all right, which is this ritzy hotel right on the beach, a famous hotel in Miami. And I get up to go to the, uh, the race, which starts at, like, 7. So I'm, I'm coming out of the hotel at 5. Right to, to catch a cab and go over to the, the other side of uh, Miami. And so I'm wearing my shorts, I'm wearing my, my Vibrams, which are dorky, the, you know, more dorky looking shoes. <laughs> you know, they're they toe got, shoes. The toe yeah. shoes, right? You, you, okay, so you look like a gorilla, with, you know. And I'm wearing, you know, wearing this little, little T-shirt and the hat, you know. I got, I got my energy pack, you know, strapped around with the little water bottles. I'm, I'm, I'm looking great, right? And so I come out at five o'clock, and and there is about there are about two hundred people out front of the hotel. And there's no chance I'm getting a cab. They're all waiting for mm-hmm. a cab. To make it worse, they are all the most beautiful people you've ever seen <laughs> in your life. They had all the club had just shut down, and they're all now they're all coming out. <laughs> oh man! So they're all done partying. Here I am in my dorky little running outfit, and they're all like, you know, wearing, you know, wearing their, you know, nighttime attire. And so I'm like, I've got to, I've got to get away from this crowd. So I run up the street to catch the cab to get to this, uh, this race. Everything goes fine on the Vibrams except for there was a bridge we had to go across, and so the bridge wasn't a concrete asphalt bridge. The bridge was a metal great bridge with holes. In uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was so uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm going across this bridge, this metal great going ow, 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 ow. <laughs> anyway, so I, I, I kind of stopped buying those shoes. I kind of fell out of favor, and I think it was giving me back problems anyway. <laughs> yeah, probably wasn't a good idea. Probably was not a good idea. Yeah, there's a reason you don't see them at they, the running they stores They fell out of favor pretty yeah. quickly, yeah. Well, speaking of running shoes, today's guest is Andrew Johnston. He is a business professor, performance coach, and ultramarathon runner. He is the creator of a unique, uh, life-changing course called Change Through Challenge. Um, as a college professor, his students train for their final exam in his course, which is a 26.2-mile marathon. We got to talk to Andrew today about running, about training, and about growing and developing as a person. I think you're going to learn a lot from this episode. Take a listen. I'm Sanger Smith with Sean Smith. This is Decided. I am reading a book right now on ultra running and training. Okay. And so I thought of you, so I was really excited to talk to you today because I know you're... uh, It's really interesting to me how these ultra endurance competitions... And you said it earlier, they're almost dominated by by middle-aged athletes. Truly. Truly. What is it about it that gets 
I mean, I'm guessing cardiovascular endurance improves as we age unlike speed or, or strength or anything like that you know it's a it's a great question i mean i i think especially with like i mean like the leadville series of races the 50 even the hundreds but definitely in the 50 well in the marathon too the, the leadville marathon that that's a, a a pretty tough one too it feels like an older crowd and yeah. just adulterers in general and i i think it's because it doesn't reward necessarily speed so to speak it, it just rewards patience and resilience and i think those are two things that you get as you get older thank god and don't know if you quite at least i didn't i didn't i wasn't full of patience and resilience when i was young but as you get older um i i think that's where that really starts to to to, to kick in and um and, and speed yeah you don't need to be fast you just have to be able to just grind and go on and on and on and on yeah once life beats you down a little bit then you're ready for these iconic getting beat down by life as a metaphor for a training for a (laughs) marathon yeah that's why 16 year olds don't do it right they don't know what's going on too easy well you know and sanger i I don't know it'd be interesting to talk to you about the iron man experience but I, i just find that you know it's not so much the race but the training for these ultras it's a great vehicle it's 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 sort of this introspective meditative there's a, an introspective meditative quality. Yes. You know, you're out there in nature, long time, just thinking about all kinds of stuff. And I don't, again, I don't know if, at least when I was in my 20s, uh, you know, that wasn't really something that, that was near and dear to me. But I think as you get older, that vehicle for self-knowledge becomes really important. And I think this kind of training, training you're doing, ultra training, it's just this vehicle for self-knowledge and self-improvement. It's a skill, right? Meditating is a skill. So really? you can't just go and sit and stare at a wall and meditate for an hour if you've never done it, right? And I couldn't do that either. But I think a lot of what holds people back from, big thing that holds people back from these endurance races, and people tell me all the time, like, what do you do for four hours when you're out running? What do you do for six hours on the bike? And, and a lot of people will ask me like, well, you listen to music. And I always respond, I said, no, that's cheating. Then I'm not getting that meditative component, not much, you know, it's obviously dangerous on the bike and impossible on the swim to do that. But I don't want to rob myself of the ability to just sit there and torture myself, not being able to be entertained. I almost never listen to music doing the long runs now if, if you're doing a tempo run you get some upbeat music fine I, I know you said you said you think it's cheating but i find that i you know get in a meditative state or if i'm just alone with my thoughts think about things that i'm wanting to do be creative or uh you know even audiobooks i guess that i, I found it a a huge benefit to my thought processes yep. in that time alone and if you're if you're long distance running particularly at the speed that i run i had a lot of time to think (laughs) (laughs) yeah you do a marathon that's that's four hours absolutely i mean that well yeah absolutely by the way you can't listen to music anyway because the phone the battery on your phone won't let you right yeah it won't last that long hours anyway right so uh yeah is 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 stuff like that what caused you to sort of put together this class tell me about the origin of how you came up with this idea to put to to pair up a business class with long distance running training how did that did that start so crazy so crazy so yeah that was when i was teaching at the at the college there it was called change through challenge and yeah 22 week class right 22 week class you go from literally couch potato to marathon completer in, in 22 weeks and I, I have to give credit to the you know the administration at the school you know the president and, and my dean there at the time because they're like yeah you know what it's probably not going to work but go ahead and give it a shot and uh it, it did work we taught the class for three years had what about 100 students go through it i think we only had five drop out of the class we had a number that had to drop down to the half marathon because of injuries but for the most part, people finished the class, but the origin of it was when I first started teaching in 2010, I was alarmed at the the dropout rate in higher ed. And and they they didn't drop out, people sort of just faded out. And what was interesting is that the kids that were kind of fading away, they were smart people. It had nothing to do with intelligence or anything like that. It was just, they just simply lacked grit. You know, back in 2010, that was before you had all these books written about grit and resilience and whatnot. 
And I'm like, how do you teach grit? How do you teach resilience? And I'm like, I, I don't think you can really learn it in a book per se. It's one of those things you sort of have to experience it. And I remember I was backing out of my driveway one morning and it just hit me. I'm like, what if we had these students train for a marathon? And, you know, I was just thinking about how marathon training had helped me uh, in years prior. I mean, I started in 2000 and I just found it to just be this huge, huge um, met good medicine for me. And I'm like, you know, if it really helped me and helped me succeed, maybe this could be a vehicle and a tool for developing that resilience and grits for school and for business and entrepreneurship. And uh, so we tested it out. And yeah, the, the class was a lot of work, but uh, extremely rewarding. And, um, you know, the rest is history. So that was that was sort of the genesis of it there, Sean. Yeah, I love that. There's really no way to teach grit other than having an experience where it requires you to come up with it. Truly. Right. I, I can I can tell you the benefit of hard work, but it, theoretically, <laughs> I can agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, you 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 know, you both own your own business, right? You both are self are all self employed. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Working in, you know, you know how it is. I mean, being an entrepreneur. I mean, that's that's a lonely game, and it, it's. I'm sure there were years where it was pretty tough, and it's just about grinding it through. And I think the only way you get good at grinding is by grinding. And, you know, marathon training, endurance sports, it, it forces you to get used to being comfortable consistently. And that's a skill that can be used absolutely in business and in other areas of life. Sure. Oh, so the, ahead, these students, you know, I, I would imagine when I first heard about this, I was like, who would sign up for that? <laughs> and then, right, right. and then I thought more about it. I was like, "Well, I would, I would sign up for that. You know, I would have done that yep. if that was offered to me." But I would. My first thought is still that's a minority of the student population. True. Was, was that true, or were there more people clamoring to get in this class than you expected? Yeah, you know that's that's a great question, Sanger. That was that was sort of my fear, and, and everyone's fear is that nobody's going to sign up for this class, right? Who who's going to do this? You know, because you know over 22 weeks, you know, week one, you you everybody goes out and runs a mile. We just do a little test. We go out to the track down at the the local middle school, and they go around the track four times, and it's pretty tough for a lot of folks. Again, these are all non-runners, non-athletes, sure, and and the whole spectrum. I mean, I, I used to say we had the 19-year-old single mom all the way up to our 62-year-old CFO uh, that was in this class. And so it was the whole spectrum. And here's, here's what I think, here's what I think um, made it work. After about, I'd say, five or six weeks, these students start to see the benefits of getting seven hours of sleep, eating healthy, um, moving their body around, but more importantly, and this was the thing none of us really saw, was after about five or six weeks, they get used to being successful because every week they're setting a goal. So it's like week one, it's okay, you run a mile, then they go and do it. And then by week three, it's okay, go out and run three miles, and then they do it. Because we do the long run together, by the way. They run on their own three days a week, and then on Saturday, we do the long run together. So by week four, five, six, they're up to like seven miles. And it's like, so week after week, they're getting those little dopamine hits of setting a big goal, reaching a big goal. Week after week after week. And after eight weeks, they're hooked. Nobody's dropping after eight weeks. And I think it becomes really addictive. And uh, then, of course, they tell other students and other people sign up. I even had the last, the last semester we taught the class, I had a gentleman was a young guy took the class with his mom and I think he dropped all his other classes except this one and uh, he's like he's like damn it I'm finishing this marathon I'm finishing this marathon so I again I think students see the physical benefits uh, for the first time that's very addictive but I think it's that that ability to go oh my god week after week doing something I didn't think I could do and just doing that every single week. I think that's that. such an interesting thought. I hadn't I hadn't really contemplated the idea of getting used to success. Yeah, I, you know, well, here's the thing. I think 
success is at least i'll just speak for me i I think it's a learned skill you know i I mean i think you can go the other way too you can learn to be helpless and learn to definitely victim route but i think success in that mindset that's a learned skill it's a learned habit and all the habits that go into it and that's interesting yeah again marathon training forces you to develop habits to be successful as well so that, I, that's I, a whole other topic yeah yeah I lo- like i love watching sports right and every year when it's draft time uh these analysts get up there and they evaluate all the quarterback prospects yep. and they talk about some of these guys having really strong arms some of these guys having they're really fast some of them they can read the defense really well but there's always one guy that he's a winner you know, he's a winner. And that's what they say about him. And and what's interesting to me is people who aren't winners don't understand the value of that commentary and that trait. To say this person is a winner, look, he won the high school state championship. He won the college national championship. They won the conference. He won at every level. He's going to win at the NFL. That that's a that's something that you you know, you can't teach that. You, yeah, you can't teach it. I mean, you can you can talk it, and people can understand it intellectually. Um, but again, to really live it, to believe it, and to live it, I think only comes through experience. Either doing, you know, like an Ironman or doing a marathon, and and I think it comes through doing something really hard, something that yes. just really pushes you and forces you to persevere over a over a long period of time. So what do you notice about the students that maybe have never had the opportunity to win before, to have success, and now they're having success not just once a year at the finish line, but they're having success every day? Yeah. To me, that's the, that is the, the lasting impression that I think that class, and, and that just marathon training, or, or like what, what you're doing there, Sanger, you know, any kind of endurance training, I think that's the lasting impact that it has on a person is, is it lets you develop that mental mindset of this is what it takes to, to get where I want to go. This is, these are the habits that I need to, to do to get there. And, and again, I think it becomes addictive. You're like, wow, you know, I ran that marathon. If I could do that marathon, surely I could start this business. I have a, uh, there's a, a student that I, I've stayed in touch with. In fact, she was, I think, in the, she was in the TED Talk. You know, she started a, a hair salon. And, man, she went through trial after trial after trial after trial. And uh, I know she mentioned a number of times, you know, uh, that marathon training experience really reinforced some of the things that she learned in the Marines as well, where you learn to develop those skills and those habits and that mindset of just persevering and persevering uh, when it gets tough. So you mentioned sort of the the training is the same for the 19 year old single mom as it is for the 62 year old CEO. I'm reading David Goggins book right now. You can't hurt me. And he he talks about going into Delta Force training where they strip everybody who's going through that of all their ranks. And everybody starts out as a grunt, you know, and and everybody because I think your point is well made that you can't cheat training. You know, oh. if you're going to go do an ultra marathon, you're going to do a triathlon, you're going to do uh, something really hard like that. It doesn't matter what you've done before. You, you're starting from zero. You've got, you can't sidestep the training. You can't cheat that training. There is no shortcut, right? Did you find that the, the connections between that type of training, that long distance training where you have to do the hard work to persevere, did you find that people were making those connections very easily to the business concepts that you were teaching in the class? Because at, at its core, this is a business class. This isn't just yeah. a marathon training right. class. This is this Truly. is a business class. Right? Truly, yeah, Sean. Yeah, two parts to that question. That's a uh, let me let me talk the first part first, which I love that that there's no cheating. You know, when we were developing the class back in let's see, 2011, because we launched in 2013. The thought was, you know, maybe the marathon's too long. You know, maybe we ought to make this like a half marathon class or maybe just make it a 10K. And because the, the thing of it is, if we make it a 10K, then anybody can do it. To which I said, that's why we don't want to have it be a 10K because yeah. anybody can do it. 
Right. We want to make this a marathon because the marathon is one of those. And I would I, Sanger, I would put the absolutely the Ironman in the same bucket. There are some endeavors where there is no cheating. If you don't have enough hay in the barn, so to speak, it's not going to work come race day. I mean, you have to put in the training. There's no cheating. And, uh, you know, I, I think the marathon and the, uh, definitely the ultra marathon, those long distance, those hardcore endurance sports force the issue doesn't matter i mean it's it's the great class equalizer it doesn't matter who you are how much money you are whether you're the cfo or you're the janitor if you haven't put in the training you you're just not going to finish so i love that piece and I, I and i absolutely think the students got that connection as far as the second piece you know how how did we make this a business class we do the long run together on saturdays they would train on their own three days a week but then every monday night we had the uh, the seminar the seminar was about an hour long and we'd talk a little bit about diet, talk a little bit about training, but then we would talk about what I'd call the discipline of the week. And we would talk about, you know, what is one discipline about marathon training that keys into business, that ties to business? And one of them is eating the elephant, right? Eating the elephant sure. one, bite, one bite at a time. Because, you know, these students day one, they're looking at the training calendar on day one, and they're flipping ahead to week 12. And they're like, oh, my God, I got to go out 17 miles? Are you kidding? I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't even look at it. Don't even look at it. You're just going to eat the elephant one bite at a time. And I'm like, you know, for those of you who are budding entrepreneurs, right, you're going to go out there and you're going to start a business. It's overwhelming. Or, you know, maybe you're, you work for somebody and your boss is giving you this enormous task. And you're just looking at it, and you're just overwhelmed, and you want to shut down. It's like, no, that whole notion of eating the elephant one bite at a time. So, so those those little so that, that seminar was was I think absolutely crucial in keeping people motivated um, as well. Because I mean, there are so many virtues and disciplines that marathon training I think teaches about life and, and teaches about business. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. That you know the the 10k doesn't work because half of your students could have gone out on day one and run a 10k yeah, even absolutely. if they weren't runners right it even seems a half like marathon yeah yeah right. it it seems like there's an effort maybe not really a conscious effort but just culturally we tend to fall back on that idea of well let's make it that that, that might be a little too hard right <laughs> that might be a little too hard let's make it easier and that has a really negative consequence because it robs us of being able to learn all of these lessons. Love that word robs us there, Sanger, because I, I do. I think it does. I, I mean, yeah, there's something about doing something really hard that just really pushes you. Yeah, I, I just think it's unforgettable. And again, I think it really develops those neural pathways, those habits of, okay, if I want to if I want to achieve something really hard, I can do it. But guess what? I'm going to have to persevere. There's going to be lots of times where it's not going to be fun. And that's where I got to really keep going. And, uh, but again, I think that's a habit. I think that's a, quitting is a habit. I, I think quitting is a habit, but I think persevering and pushing through is also a habit that, that can be learned too. And again, I, I think these kinds of physical sports um, are, are just a great vehicle for that. Yeah. Did you find that uh, students went on to do other endurance uh, races and things after your class? You know, some did. I, I was a little, I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest. I'm not a lot of folks did marathon <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, you know, they that's did. interesting that they didn't. Yeah. yeah, they didn't do marathons, but, you know, a number of students that I was <clears throat> able to keep in touch, it seemed like a number of them kept running or kept, the physical exercise because i think they did sure. understand and, and again this is another thing that i that i love about just endurance sports in general is they they, they understood how the, the key to a sharp mind goes through a better goes through having a, an in-shape body a strong body yeah. and so i think a number of folks did keep up the the physical activity but not a lot of kept up the marathon so well it, it is a big it is a big ask i i know that when i was uh, doing marathons i would try and find one in a reasonable time frame after i did one because i'm like man i put in all this work i'm not going to do all this work for one i'm, well, doing, you know, I'm gonna do another one <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna piggyback on this training and get get two or three knocked out 
You know, that's a really good point. I've never thought of that. That's, that's, that's true, right? Because, you know, you figure at a minimum, you know, it's, well, I mean, we did it in 22 weeks, right? It was 22 right. weeks, so almost six months of training. Yeah, you're going to, you know, you're you're going to put in that kind of sacrifice. Yeah, if you wait a few weeks, you could probably crank out another one a few weeks later, you know. Did you do the training? I know there are different philosophies on the training. So, there, the, you oh. know, Sanger is going through uh, training right now for the triathlon and it's all heart rate training uh you know i've done stuff based on distance uh i've seen some based on time you know run for this many minutes run for this many minutes and so forth how did you guys approach that training you know what, what you just said there sean reminds me i think his name is tim noakes he uh he's done a couple of TED talks he's a physiologist okay. Uh, I mean, just he has some. In fact, I don't know if his book. I have it. I have it around here somewhere. It's real thick. He talks about. It's called the lore of running, and uh, I mean, real sciencey guy. And I remember his one quote is: "Everything we know about diet and training is wrong. Fifty percent of what we know about diet and training is wrong at any given time. We just don't know which fifty percent." So, so uh, you know, I mean, the 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 approach that we took and that I've stuck with. But I again, I'm sure there's all kinds of ways of doing it. I think it's just kind of the old fashioned Arthur Lydiard approach where you do the slow buildup, right. you know, you do the slow buildup and, and, you know, about 20 miles and then you do the, 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 the taper afterwards, uh, train about four days a week. Uh, I do believe in rest days, but uh, you know, it's mostly, I would say it's most, mostly mileage based. Um, you know, I guess I'm kind of old school, old fashioned, same thing on the diet. Yeah, I do believe, you know, heavy, high in protein is, is super key. Uh, but, you know, I'm not a carb hater. I, I'm just not. So well, you can't uh, be a carb hater if you're doing long distance running. You need I don't those. think so. I, no. I mean, I don't think so. Um, you know, I've, uh, boy, I mean, I've seen some people doing some pretty far out stuff. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be too judgmental. I, I know there's other ways of doing things, but, uh, um, I'm kind of old school and kind of go with, with the way it's been done for a while. So, uh, <laughs> what are you what are you working on now? Uh, right now, just working for the Leadville, uh, the Silver Rush 50 here on July 10th. Yeah. So, uh, just uh, you know, got to get those miles up. So, uh, you know, this Saturday, you know, hope knock out 20 miles and uh, lots of hills, lots yeah. and lots of hills. lots of lots of. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. No. You know, there there is something though about again that that's the beauty of of, of like these of, of ultra training is uh, you know you're out in nature essentially they're, you're not really running. I mean, when people say, "Hey Andrew, how do you go out and run 50 miles?" Well, you're you're not. I mean, the city of Leadville starts at 10,000 feet. A lot of these passes go up to over 12,000 feet with some pretty serious grades. You know, you're you're walking the grades, you're running the flats, you're running the downhills, but. Uh, no, I call it just a, a really long day hike is really what I call it. So yeah. <laughs> with some <laughs> with some extra stress added to it. <laughs> with some extra well, it's like you sang it right. I mean, it's just uh, I'm going for a really long bay bike ride and swim. Yeah, it's That's really funny. Cool. You know, I, I've I've done uh, several of the fourteeners in, in Colorado and Perfect. um my favorite ones are the ones where no one's with me. You know, where I can find an empty trail, True. because when there are people, I'm too competitive. I start to treat it like a race. And I'm like, oh, there's this group behind me. I'm going to start running. And yeah. there's no need. Right. I do not need to run to the top of this mountain. But I'm just I've got a mental illness and that's everything's a competition. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I got to run. <laughs> you know? or, or, or I got up and I'm like, OK, I bet I could get down, you know, in uh, two hours. And I've got to run to do that. I, I found that, hard. yeah, I found that I did the uh, Camino de Santiago a few years ago, which is a 500 mile hike across northern Spain. And I, oh you know, I, I have the same, you know, it, and I would uh, get up in the mornings and I would be hiking, you know, through these villages and yeah. vineyards and orchards of, of northern Spain. It was just beautiful. And I would, you know, as Sanger just mentioned, I'd see some people behind me. So I would speed up. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want people to catch me. You know, or I'd I'd see I'd see somebody ahead of me. I'm like, oh, I I think I can pass them, and and that attitude only lasted. A bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and that there were some embarrassing moments of doing that. You know, when I think back, that like we're 
it's it's like everybody was running a marathon, but people could start at different mileage points. Yeah. And some of them were only running 10Ks and some of them weren't. And because the realization I came to about two weeks into that that journey yeah. was that although everybody's on the same trail, we're on different journeys, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that what you're doing is you're not competing against people truly in a marathon. You're competing with people. You're, yeah. you're competing against yourself and, and how how long can I go? How fast can I go? Can I do this more? Can I do it again? Can I do it at this age? Uh, you know, and I think that's really the learning that I got from long distance training. And I know you were connecting a lot of it to business elements. And I, I think having perseverance, having a plan, having a training plan, having people you're doing it with you. So it's not a solo endeavor. Uh, all of those translate to, to business. Truly, uh, and so I, 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 when I had that realization that uh, I didn't need to compete against people in in things like that, uh, competition's good for sure. But uh, there's this attitude in in hiking uh, about hike your own hike. Just truly let people do their thing, and and not you're not competing against them in certain endeavors and certain things you are. Let's say you're. <laughs> Uh, you know, just recognizing where you are is, is, is key, I think. I totally love that, Sean. I mean, that that is so right on. I mean, I, I think, and again, I think that lends itself to these these long distances. I mean, I love that journey. I mean, 500 miles. But by the way, just out of curiosity, how long did it take you to do that? Uh, it was about a month. About a month, yeah. yeah it was about wow. a month. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're 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 not out there trying to reel people in and compete against them. No, these, these, all these types of endeavors, um, they're, they're vehicles for self-knowledge. They're vehicles for self-knowledge and self-improvement. And yeah, you know, yeah, you're, you're trying to, your main goal is just, I just want to get to the finish line. Just want to get to the finish line. And yeah. And, and these endeavors, people are helping each other out. Absolutely. I mean, everybody's the same. That's the other thing I love about it is, you know, you're when you're out there. You don't know who's a Democrat, who's a Republican. You don't know where, who they voted for. I mean, I, I love the fact that for those few hours or days, everybody's just out there just trying to help each other get across the line. Like, oh, yeah. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful yeah, stuff. I agree. Yeah, that was one of the really hard things for me to continue to learn and continue to remind myself of is I'm not competing with anybody else. You know, I did, I did an Olympic distance triathlon the other day yeah. and that was my first triathlon ever. Uh, you no, know, okay. This is just a few days ago. Yeah. So oh, my go. first one, I guess it was last Sunday, right? It was my first triathlon. Um, and that was the, that's the only one I'm doing before I do the half Ironman. Yeah. And the half Ironman is probably going to be the only one I do between now and Perfect. the full Ironman. Perfect. Um, because I don't really love triathlon. I just want to do it, you know? <laughs> I just want to be able to oh, say it. Just want to be able to, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, as we were, my sister and I, we did, we did this triathlon together, and we're standing there getting ready for the swim, and we're like, oh, my gosh, like this is going to be terrible. You know, it's 45 degrees outside, so it's super cold. Um, I'm shivering, and this guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, are y'all doing the Olympic distance? And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, y'all have any like tips or anything? And we go, no, dude, we just like, we don't know anything. We, we've never done a triathlon before. Well, we're, we're probably going to be last. Like, don't, yeah. we, we've got nothing for you. And he was like, oh man, I was hoping you did. Cause this is my first one too. And that guy got first overall. Wow. Oh, wow. He got first overall. <laughs> and he was unreal. Like I, I remember standing next to him and they go, all right, we're going to do waves um, on the swim. Yeah. Who swims uh, one minute? pace per 100 yards and he was the only guy to raise his hand and i looked at him i was like i looked back to summer i go this guy doesn't know what he's talking about like obviously it's his first triathlon no he turned out to go out first these type of sports have a way of of humbling you and making you kind of reframe what you're doing and why you're doing it um well you're you're bringing back a memory this was this was a few years ago doing the yeah doing the leadville the silver rush 50 and there was the weather was rough there was rain and hail and all kinds of stuff like like there often is but th- this one was tough and uh 
I was falling behind on the on one of the cutoffs because there's a number of cutoffs. They don't give you forever. They give you 14 hours. Sure. And you have to reach certain mile markers by certain cutoffs. And I remember reaching mile 43 and missed the cutoff. 43. Oh, man. And, um, you know, it was getting dark. And, uh, you know, I told the people, I'm like, oh, let me just keep going. Let me keep going. And they're like, eh, no, you're done. It's getting dark. It's raining. We don't want to have search and rescue come out looking for people. And, uh, you know, you're just sitting under the tent and it's raining and, you know, you're shivering. And, and at first you're just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And uh, there was a little reframing that had to happen. And, uh, you know, as I'm being being carted back, uh <laughs> Being carted back, you know, you get you, you get to the finish line and, and you know you start to realize it's like, oh my gosh, wait a minute, I've got two arms, I got two legs, I got this healthy body. I was able to go out 50, 43 miles today. Yeah. Beautiful, you know, part of the country, one of the most beautiful parts of the country with other fabulous people here. Uh, I have nothing to complain about. I have nothing to complain about. I'm very blessed. And I had people at the finish line meeting me there. And I'm like, you know, um, sometimes these, these sports teach bigger things. And so, yeah, to your point, a little humility and uh, helps you remind you why you're really doing this. So, yeah, I love that idea of reframing. You know, that's something that I, I, a skill that we work on as financial advisors, yeah. uh, particularly when people are making emotionally charged decisions with their money. It's like, okay, step one is we've got to acknowledge the emotion that we're feeling, um, which isn't, isn't obvious, right? Most people, Hey, I'm going to buy this house. Okay. Well, what are we feeling in this moment? Right. That's not, it's not obvious to me that I'm feeling excitement. It's not obvious. Um, It's not obvious to me when I'm running a race and I see someone pass me and I speed up past my pace that what I'm feeling is, maybe jealousy, maybe uh, competitiveness, maybe what, what pride. It's not obvious to me in that moment. I just know the decision I want to make is here. But then reframing that and saying, okay, this guy passed me, but look, I'm actually running my fastest time. I'm actually run, I actually just ran 43 miles. I've never done that before. Truly. Um, Whatever it is, but being able to reframe it and 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 maintain a healthy decision making outlook yeah. is so important. I don't think we we really talk about that culturally. Um, there's not a lot of knowledge out there about about how to do that, or a lot of wisdom on how to do that. But that's very very important, and it has to be intentional at every step, right? It's not one of those things where um, if I learn it, I, it just stays in my back pocket forever. You know, if I give you like, um, it's kind of like technical adjustments. You know, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, Andrew, your running form is a little off. You're kind of swinging your elbows side to side. Probably you should go forward and back with your elbows. Uh, They didn't really fix your technique because you're going to have to do that and make that choice every time you run. (laughs) And probably by the time you get to mile 43, you forgot that 40 (laughs) miles ago. <laughs> Same thing with reframing. I've got to remind myself all the time at every every step, every opportunity, and that's really challenging. Oh my gosh, no! I I, I think that no, I, I think that's the word. I mean, I think this kind of or these type of endeavors, yeah, they they help you reframe what is success and you know what is failure and dealing with failure. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the first time I, I ran the Silver Rush 50, you have 14 hours to do it, and I did it in 13.52. Second time I did it, 13 hours, 52, exact same time, exact oh, wow. same time. You know, and at first you're like, good, I'm really slow. I'm towards the back and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, yeah, but then it's like, wait a minute here. You know, a third of the people didn't even finish the darn thing. Uh-huh. You know, and then, you know, you look at the percentage of people that are even doing these endeavors. Exactly. Right? So you're on the tail of the tail of the tail. But here you're walking across the finish line, feeling like a total failure, beat yourself up. You're like, come on, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think these endeavors force you to just I think they force you to become a better person. And one of the ways is just reframing what is success and what is failure? And sure. maybe and maybe it's not. Yeah. So the, the interesting thing to me about that question of what is success is when you talk to most people, 
at least in my experience, mm-hmm. most people that I believe are very successful, yeah, they don't feel that way about themselves. Um, a lot of people don't feel successful, even though they're living a life that I'm like, man, I would kill to have that. Especially in your business, right? Where you see yes. people who are successful. Oh, yeah. It's like, what do you mean you're successful? You, you, you did everything you said you ever wanted to do, right? Or, or business owners, right? Um, that, that one's really challenging because what you mentioned earlier, you know, being an entrepreneur is oftentimes very lonely. But most entrepreneurs became entrepreneurs because they they realized they didn't want to work for anyone else. They wanted to work for themselves or they had a passion and they carved a career out that allowed them to pursue that passion. And sometimes we're feeling down on ourselves, feeling like we're 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 failing. It's important to reframe that and say, you know, why did I decide to do this? Why did I decide to become an entrepreneur? I decided to do this because I wanted to work for myself and I wanted to do this thing. And look, I'm actually doing that. Yeah. I made a living doing that. Am I making more money than everybody else who's ever done this? No. Am I a billionaire yet? No. Is my company as awesome as it is in my dreams? No, but it never will be. Uh, am I ever going to win You know, first place at the Kona Ironman World Championships? No, I'm not. But that's not why I decided to run an Ironman. I decided to run an Ironman to see if I could do it. And as long as I do it, I'm yippee. <laughs> and yet you see people who are beating themselves up because they're not in the top 10. Yeah. Right? I know. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, your your notion of or your question there, Sanger, of why, you know, boy, little word, big meaning, though. You know, why are you doing why are you doing what you're doing in this class? When we would do the class, there were only two assignments. There was finish the finish the marathon at the end, right? That was the final exam. Mm-hmm. And then the very first week of class, I gave him a writing assignment. And the writing assignment was very simple. It was, why are you taking this class? And what's going to keep you from quitting when you want to quit? And I said, you know, you can type it out. You can write it out. You can lie to me. I really don't care what your why is, but you need to have a why because – Three or four weeks from now, you know, because we started the class in August. I'm like, four, you know, four to five weeks from now when it gets cold and dark and starts snowing and your alarm goes off at five, you're not going to want to get up and do the training. Every every yeah. fiber of your being is going to say, stay in bed. And there needs to be some kind of burning, compelling reason in here that's getting you the heck out of bed to do mm-hmm. the training. And, it's well, that's, and that's sort of the, the point I was bringing up earlier is, is that yeah. you've got to have a bigger why than beating this other person and competing against this other person because you don't know their journey. You don't know where they're starting, where they're finishing, totally. what they're doing, what skills they bring to the table. You've got to have something bigger than that. Oh. Uh, otherwise, you're going you're gonna to drop out. You're going to get discouraged. That that's and and boy is that a is that a, a a truism for anything that's hard you know especially starting your own business or, or or just making your way in business in general but yeah marathon training absolutely yeah if the only reason why you're doing this is so you can look good in a swimsuit I mean I, I don't know I don't know if that's going to be enough of enough reason to get up when it starts getting snowy and icy outside but. Um, yeah, you got to have a big reason. I mean, I saw some pretty compelling reasons. I mean, it's, hey, you know, my dad told me I'd never amount to anything, right? And wow. I'm going to show him, like, oh, all right. You know, and I'm like, you don't even have to show me the reason you're why, but just put it somewhere where you can see it every morning. Cause, that's a good uh, tip. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. that's a really, yeah. really good plate. You know, when we, we talk about, you know, we talk to business owners, we talk to people about their, their finances. Uh, that's one of the things that we uh, that we start with is you know what's important about your money to you. What's important about accomplishing this goal? What are your what are your values? We start way back there before we get into uh, you know sharp ratios and you know the betas and the the alphas you know on on portfolio drift and we before we get to any of the investment quant, yeah. we got to start with you know why are they here. What are they hoping we could do? It's, a, that, it's the same with that. Yeah. Is that, are they able to, is that an easy question for them to answer? Uh, you know, there are a lot of people that deflect it. You know, if I, so if I ask some people, you know, what's important about your money to you? Yeah. Uh, we get a lot of deflection early on. Well, I just want to have more of it, or I want it to make money, or I want to, you know, have a good return, or I want to, you know, have a lot, you know, and, and that's, that's never the real reason. 
Absolutely. You know, what's important about your money to you is, is what, what it provides to you, not in terms of food and shelter. You know, it, it's not that. Mm -hmm. it, it may be options. It may be freedom. It may be uh, confidence. Uh, you know, it, it may be security. It's always something of that level. But for some people, there's a real deflection early on. Uh, and I, I bet you found that when you were asking people why they were running a marathon. Well, I just want to, you know, I want to look good in a swimsuit. I want to pass your class. <laughs> yeah, I want to pass. Yeah. If, if I yeah. want to lose a few pounds, okay, why? Right. Why do you want to lose a few pounds? Oh, so I can look better. Why? What's important to you about looking better? That's right. In well, getting to that level, yeah. absolutely, it's never the first two or what? three answers. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I yeah. think it is to 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 really get to the core. It's like, well, what what do you? Here's another question: When you ask me, well, what do you want? What do you want? What do you? What do you? What do you want? It's kind of a hard question. I, at least I've found that asking students that. What is it that you want? They, they really can't tell you. You usually have to get to a few. You have to get to a few layers down. Um, just like the, you know, the, the why question. Why do you want to run this marathon? And like you said there, Sean. At first, it's well, you know, I just want to lose a few pounds. Oh, I want to get in better shape. But then you really get to the core of it. And um, that's where I think it gets. That's where I think it gets really interesting. We've got a, a business leader that uh, Doug Lenick, who's going to be on the podcast uh, also, and uh, he said to me one time that you know that the or I heard him say that the uh, you know the purpose of business is no more to make money than the purpose of life is to breathe. You, you have to breathe to have life. You have to make money to be in the business, but it has to be something more than that. And so when we look at businesses, we've got to find out what is their purpose. Sure. Uh, and so we, we uh, I think that's one of the more important things we do as financial advisors is finding that, finding that out for, uh, for folks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, well, let me, let me ask you, can I ask you guys a quick question? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to go the other way. You know, what, what have you found? I mean, since, since you, you are, are endurance athletes, how has, this training impacted what you do oh uh, man yeah. i've learned so many lessons like a lot of them i i knew intuitive or i knew or i thought i knew mm -hmm. but then i had to relearn them again like yeah. you know one of the big ones was i was training and trying to do all this stuff on my own and i you know doing a, an ironman i've never i've the longest distance run i've ever done is a 10k I I swam when I was in elementary and middle school, but I didn't swim in high school. You know, I, I've never owned a road bike until last year. So I don't know how to do this stuff. And I looked to the internet and I found a lot of different advice on how to train, how to improve technique, uh, how to diet, how to do all of these things. And all of the information that I found was really great when I read it. Um, but then it was terrible when I would read the next article and it conflicted with everything that I read in the first article. And then I started to talk to people that had done it. I said, you know what, fine, forget it. I'm going to stop reading. I'm going to talk to people that I know who have done it. And I would talk to someone and they'd say, oh, do this, do that. And I go, oh, that was fantastic. That's amazing. Yep. Uh, and that would be really great until I talked to the second person who, could, right. who had a completely different point of view. Totally. And so I realized, oh, the only thing I, I can do to, to know these answers, to be able to make really good decisions for me on how to train, how to diet, how to exercise, how to schedule a plan, how to do all these things is to have a coach, you know? And I think that that's really important when it comes to our money too. It's yeah, you can go out there and get information. You can get a lot of questions answered on, with Google. Uh, you can talk to people and they're gonna give you some good advice. But if you want personalized advice, uh, if you want the best decision, to be able to make the best decision for yourself, you have to have someone that knows you. Yeah. At least get you started in the right direction, kind of give you the basics. Because, yeah, you could spend years just uh, doing it wrong, then you got to unlearn it, you know? Yeah, and that can be really damaging. I mean, the the other side of it is how it's impacted me as an advisor, I think, is, is it's it's very, it has a lot of parallels to financial planning in the sense that I can see this goal out there. 
you know, I can see, okay, I want to go run an Ironman and that's going to take me a year to, to train up for that. Yeah. Um, you know, and our financial goals can be even longer. They could be decades, right? Uh, they could be past our lifetime before that goal is realized. But to be able to say, I've got to then make a lot of decisions every day after that in order to stay on track. So I've got to tra- I've got to check my progress. I've got to build a plan. I've got to follow the plan. I've got to allow for flexibility in that plan. But I, I, I don't necessarily want to, I've got to allow enough flexibility so I can stay on track for my goal, but not too much so that I ruin my goal. Because there may be some days where I could talk myself out of ever wanting to do an Ironman just because I'm having a bad day. That doesn't mean that's what I really want. So, you know, what you mentioned, knowing my why, understanding my why, why am I doing this stupid Ironman anyway? You know, go ahead, Sanger. Well, I, I, I think that's really where, what, what it's done for me is to be able to be working towards something that's that's big and significant and and learning all of these these lessons because for me you know being an advisor can be really um it, i i guess i can get used to it you know i can get used to what it is and because i understand it and this is what i do for a living i'm i i have never with my money been in the position of someone who doesn't understand what I understand, right? About planning, about investments, about money making decisions. But when it comes to training, it's like, I don't know anything. So now I can see what it's like to sit in the shoes of someone who comes in, you know, they, they make money, but they don't know all this stuff. Truly. Yeah. Truly. My, my answer to that, Andrew, it, you'll appreciate this with, uh, being in Colorado, my, uh, my father and I went up to, uh, Colorado Springs yeah. a few years ago. This was many, many years ago. And, uh, we get there and, uh, we've got one day before we have a, uh, an event we have to go to. So we're going to, we decide we're going to climb Pike's peak. Oh yeah. The next right. morning. Yep. And so, uh, my sister mentions to it and she lives in Colorado Springs. She goes, well, you know, the weather may be kind of crummy. I don't know if you want to do that, you know, that day, you know, may not be a great day for, for climbing. We're like, well, you know, this is, this is the day we have. And so we get up early and, you know, we get up and start on Bar Trail at about yep. seven in the morning. And, yep. you know, Bar Trail, you know, it, 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 at the totally. first of it, it kind of slopes downward a little bit. It's got yep. curbs and signs. Yep. It's really smooth. We're like, yep. oh, this is, this is not going to be so bad. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, if you go, <laughs> it doesn't keep, it doesn't stay that way. Truly. And, uh, you Truly. know, my calculations, I think it's about 14 miles up and 14 miles back. Mm-hmm. And, That's about uh, right. Yeah. We were uh, like, well, you know, at this pace, we can be up, we'll be back, but, you know, this afternoon. And uh, obviously, we got slower and slower as we go up. Yeah, we went up. We got to a, a halfway point at, at uh, or bar camp at about noon, right? Yeah. It's not a good pace. And uh, this was in the in the days of uh, you know big clunky cell phones, and I happen to have one with me in a, in the day pack. And we get up uh, at about two o'clock. I'm doing my math, and I'm like, man, we we've got a ways to go. Oh yeah. I think what we can do is we'll catch this cog railroad down, and we'll we'll, we'll just you know we'll just ride back down. Absolutely. My dad was like, oh, that's a that's a great idea. Let's do that. <laughs> and so. And so we're going the next mile takes us about an hour, you know, and, and, uh, so I'm like, well, there's, there's no way we're going to catch this last train. And, uh, so I, I call my sister and I say, Hey, can you meet us up at the top? Just drive up to the top of Pank's Peak, which is no easy ask. No, anybody, not at right? all. Not but an can, easy ask at all. You know, right. uh, I said, we've missed the last cog railroad down. Can you just meet us up there at four? And, uh, drive us back down she's like you you idiots you know and and <laughs> so she goes all right and it's starting to snow now so you know and i'm in shorts <laughs> it's so yeah we're, it's and now it's snowing and it's it's obliterating the trail and so the only way that we and we're above the tree line obviously the only way to stay on track what because we couldn't see the trail yeah. Uh, was to keep our eyes on the on the summit, and so we kept working our way, just kind of looking up at the summit, yeah. and saying, "Obviously, we're not going to be going the wrong way. We may be right. going a way. It may not be the best way. That's right. But That's we're right. advancing towards our goal." 
and we would drift on and off the trail, but we were, were making our way and I call her back. I said, Hey, you know, make it about four 30, you know, yeah. go, you know, next miles take us about an hour and a half. And we get up there at about five oh. and it's, it's blowing hard That's and it's, it's snowing and we're cold and we're tired. And we get up there, you know, where, where my sister is supposed to be waiting for us and she's not there. Uh, and worse, no one's there. I mean, it's, there's nobody up there. It's, it's snowing. And I call her and I said, Hey, you know, are you almost here? She goes, I'm not coming. The road's closed. There's, they're not letting anybody up. <laughs> so oh. I'm, uh, I'm like, well, uh, what, what do we do? <laughs> she yeah. goes, I don't know what you're going to do. Uh, cause obviously we can't hike back down. We can't start from the summit at five in the snow we can't yeah. see the trail. We can't, we can't, right. there's no trail down. We don't even know where it is. Oh. And it's going to be dark soon. And so this is going to be really rough and we can't right. stay on the top. And she said, well, see if there's somebody in that observation building up there. I said, there's, there's not a car, there's nobody up here. Right. I, she goes, just maybe, you know, it's your only hope. <laughs> so we start kind of banging on the door and yeah. sure enough, there, they, they, there was somebody in there. The park service dropped somebody off, and they stay oh. in that building. And the guy's like, "Well, listen, I'm not supposed to let you in, but you know, obviously, I will. It's blowing snow." And uh, so he lets us in. We spend the night in this observation building, and I we get up the next morning, and we're able to see the sunrise coming up over the over Colorado Springs from the top of Pikes Peak, which right. is a, a a sight that Absolutely. nobody really gets to see. Truly. And what it taught me was that sometimes when we are trying to achieve a goal, it's, it's critical to keep your eyes on that summit, on that goal, because things happen that you can't predict and you, and you lose your plan. And it's important to have a plan, but, but we lost the trail. But we would have been completely lost if we hadn't had been able to focus on our, our objectives. So wow. it's... Uh, that how that was, scary house was this during the summertime or was this it, uh, uh i don't remember the time fall. of year you know it, it was uh september yeah september oh That's yeah right. it was september yeah oh. that could have wow that could have really gone bad imagine if you hadn't been there <laughs> no. i mean i guess you could have walked down the road maybe we, but... that would have been that would have been the plan is walk down the road but uh, oh boy you know road. that again it, it sort of comes to that you know when i hear that story i I mean, it's it's embarrassing. I, I'm actually I'm glad to I'm glad to hear hear that, Sean. Because oh, two guys two guys from Texas who did not know my sister never let me yeah. forget that because she's oh. she's there. She's like I told you. I don't know what you were doing, you idiots. Oh. <laughs> you know, I think we've all made those rookie mistakes, and, and oh, yeah. I, I think this training. This type of thing, you'll have those moments where it's going to humble you. Uh, you know, Mount Evans, one of the 14ers here, there's yeah. a road that you yeah. can take a road up there. I've done the same thing where I'll get up there a little too late, and then you're running back down, and it's 2.33 yeah. o'clock, and there's lightning. I mean, the, the weather right. can change you on a dime. You do not want to be on the top of the storm, right? No, it can change on a dime, <laughs> and uh, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm the highest one up here right now. And uh yeah, it's it's very frightening, and you just are kicking yourself, going, "How did I let myself do this?" Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> hey, it, 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 it's, story. yeah, it uh, yeah, it was a little, it was a little rough. Uh. <laughs> I got from uh, from Andrew's discussion. It was fascinating to, to hear him uh, talk about how the students went through the classes and the ultra running. And the thing that I took away when looking at decision-making in, in that regard is understanding your why, going all the way back to understanding why you're doing something and being able to reflect on that because your decisions are going to be, I think, overly influenced by the emotion of the moment or how difficult it is at the time or, or something that comes up. If you're not able to come back and, and sort of refocus on why you're doing something from the beginning that was that was my takeaway and that that why has to be big enough and important enough and strong enough to to fight off those negative emotions 
because yeah. like he like Andrew said, if that why is I wanna lose weight, I wanna I wanna have more money, whatever it is, that's not deep enough. That doesn't cut deep enough to to keep us rooted and keep us on track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really learned a lot from that. The other takeaway I had was the idea of, of reframing success. You know, we're gonna we're gonna come up against a lot of battles and whether we're in the middle of running a marathon or in the middle of creating our business, building our business or, or simply in our financial life, it's important to reframe what, what success means. And there are a lot of things that can come in and make us seem like failures, especially when we compare our success or our perceived success to that of other people. So we've got to reframe that and say, what is success for me? Am I still working towards and making progress towards my why? Because my why probably wasn't, I'm going to get first place. I'm going to beat that random guy I see. I'm going to, my business is going to be bigger than yours. Uh, I'm going to have X dollars in my bank account. It wasn't that. It was a, a more nuanced and individualized. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly. We had a great conversation with Andrew Johnston. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, give us a five-star review on iTunes. If you didn't like it, you didn't think it was five-star worthy, well, I hope your next marathon is extra, extra terrible. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram at Decidedly Money. Check us out on our website where we'll have show notes, decidedlymoney.com. We'll see you next time. advice and comments provided by Sean Smith, Singer Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.